Welcome to the Quintessential Being podcast. Here, you'll find conversations with epic souls that offer fresh perspectives, cultivate awareness, and invite acceptance for you to experience wholeness right now. Join me, Nikki O'Brien, as I dive deep with these beautiful beings of light. Today, beautiful people, I have Jess Mather. She is dedicated to body freedom. She's the founder of Rehabited, a somatic-based organization that helps people restore their ability to express their bodies. She's a movement coach and specializes in strength and rehab. Welcome to the show, Jess. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. So we are going to have a chat today about the parallels between how our autonomic nervous system functions and the concepts mapped by manifestation and the law of attraction. We're going to nerd out a little bit about the science because I saw a post she did and I literally was like, like stopped my scroll and I read the whole thing and I was like, I've never seen it put like this for me. And I am, like I was saying to you just before, babe, like I love fresh perspectives and, and showing people different perspectives of how things link together and so that people can understand them and digest them easier. And I just absolutely adored the post that you did. So I was like, I've got to talk to this babe and get her on my podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This is, this is a super fun topic. So like, I've honestly never seen it mapped like that before. So we're going to be diving into polyvagal theory. Can you tell us a little bit about, or give us a little bit of a brief overview about polyvagal theory? If someone doesn't know what that is. Yeah. So polyvagal theory is a theory that refers to the vagus nerves. Some people have heard of the vagus nerve, which is one of our cranial nerves, which runs all the way down and innervates with our organs. So the, the, the polyvagal theory relates to how this vagus nerve impacts our emotional regulation and also the way that we connect with one another, our social connection. And it also has to do with our survival responses of fight, flight, or freeze. So polyvagal theory has to do with essentially regulating our nervous system through the vagus nerve. I didn't know that it had like the social connection. Can you pad that out a little bit for us? Yeah. So there are a few different states of polyvagal theory. Okay. So the first one is when you're talking about social connection, that's called the ventral state. So in my post that I wrote, I was relating that to the vortex, right? That ventral state, which is a physiological state of safety. And when our system is in a state of safety, we feel safe to connect with others. So when we're in a threat response, like in a fight or flight response is another state in polyvagal theory, we're going to feel more defensive, right? We're going to be like, get out of my face, (laughs) right? We're going to be, we're going to have more charge in us. The other state in polyvagal theory, the other um, survival response or survival state is freeze state, also known as dorsal state in polyvagal theory, it's called dorsal. And that's also a state where we might feel more isolated. We might feel more depressed in this state. And we might feel like we feel shut down, like we can't connect with people either in that state, right? So it's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but in both states, sympathetic and dorsal state, we feel this inhibition of our ability to connect versus ventral is going to give us that state of connection. We're like, oh, I'm safe with all my people. Yeah. Right. Because wow. we're social creatures. Yeah. And I'm just like, as you're saying that, it's just coming to me like, 
a whole lot of people in the world would be feeling into that free state right now, right? Like considering, you know, the world climate that's been happening and COVID and all that kind of stuff, like a lot of people would be feeling, and I don't know, like I'm just generalizing here, but I feel like collectively a lot of people might be feeling into that free state, into that, what did you call it? Is it dorsal? Dorsal, yeah. Yeah, wow. So you caught my attention on the interwebs because you pointed out these crazy similarities between ventral state and being in the vortex. Now, for people who don't know, the vortex is this state referred to by Abraham Hicks and it's like alignment essentially. Like it's the place where you feel in flow, the place where you feel in joy, in love, in desire, where you feel like everything's available to you. And it's kind of like, I imagine it like this beautiful kind of like, like twister kind of state and you're standing in the middle and everything you ever want is like in that twister. So, babe, I would love for you to give us a rundown on what you found and the correlations between that ventral state and the vortex, because I found it so fascinating. I think my listeners would just adore hearing this. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fascinating to me, too, because I I started getting into Hicks only recently. Like I knew of, I feel like I call them them, right? Do you guys refer to Hicks as them? I only got into it recently and I just listened to it crop load of YouTube videos, right? So I'm just listening and listening daily, daily, daily. And I'm like, holy moly. Like I'm I'm also learning so much in neurophysiology and polyvagal theory I've been studying for the past several years. And I was like, I was like, this is uncanny, like these similarities. So so there's a there's a lot of different similarities here that that we can cover. So and again, this isn't I've written in that post, this isn't even an exhaustive list. Like I'm still discovering more similarities between the spirituality and the science. So the first thing that I noticed is when Hicks talks about the vortex, she talks about, like you're saying, like everything is there that we want. And she, can I refer to it as she? I keep wanting to refer to it as she because I hear her voice in my head. Yeah, Esther. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So she talks about the state of tuned in, tapped in, turned on. Like I really dig that. And she talks about how we feel really good. Um, spontaneous ideas come to us in the vortex, right? Like we get it. We want to take inspired action. There's this sense of like intrinsic motivation. Mm, I love right? that word. Let's say that again. Intrinsic motivation. Is that not the, like the juice, the nectar of life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's power, right? Sometimes I relate to the vortex as you're in your power. Like you're, you're feeling capable, right? And in polyvagal theory, it relates so closely to that state of ventral, which is a state of physiological safety where you feel connected to the world around you. You feel connected to others. When you're in a state of ventral, you will generally feel more grounded, more safe, more your threat responses aren't up, right? Like you're not in a state of protection. So your creativity gets to turn back on too. Your brain is just functioning better because your brain's not focused on threat or taking care of this over here, right? So so creativity gets to move through you, right? So there's already some similarities there. I'm like ventral and vortex, right? So I thought that was really interesting. It's that that same, that tuned in, tapped in, turned on kind of feeling. And Hicks also has this quote, she said, moving into the vortex is where life is lived. And I love that. Moving into the vortex is where life is lived which makes so much sense to ventral because we live in connection. We're social creatures by nature. Yes, life is lived when we've experienced trauma and all sorts of threatening things too, but like that's not where the juice is, right? That's not where the juice is. Like life is lived in the vortex. Life is lived in ventral state. 
like when we're talking about tra trauma healing, like we want to bring people into that physiological state of safety, into that ventral state. You want people to move out of survival state and into this like beautiful flow. Like what's coming to me as you're talking is like, this is where philosophy and stuff was born, right? Where they had all yeah. of their basic needs taken care of. And, you know, that was previously afforded to the rich, you know, like back in the day because they had all of their basic needs met. So they were able to like tap into the vortex and get creative right. and feel into the flow and have spontaneous ideas. Oh, I love it. So how, if, if you're, if we're like correlating the two, how can we, how do we move into or help ourselves start to move into the ventral state or the vortex more if we have previously been in fight or flight or freeze, you know, like I have definitely been, <laughs> been in those states and I feel like, yes, safety is such an important thing and feeling like physiologically safety and feeling like you want to you know everyone wants to be in flow everyone obviously wants to live in where the like where the where the nectar is so mm -hmm. what have you noticed in your own life and your own personal experience as well as diving into this material of how it's easier for you to move into that ventral state so good let's do the juices so it's interesting. I'll relate back to Hicks for a second because this is this is one of those connections again. Is how Hicks describes it. Of like how Hicks will say, "Okay, you can move into the vortex by two main things." She recommends, and again, I'm no I'm no expert on Hicks stuff, but this is from from what I've what I've gotten from her is meditation and naps. <laughs> those are her two things. Like you're on the vortex, like you're freaking out, you got all these thoughts going on, and you're just spiraling. She calls it the resistance, right? Resistance is when we're feeling yeah. trapped, right? Like yeah. you're out of the the spiral. So the, she says meditation and naps, which is interesting because those are sometimes strategies that can be used that we would say to bring you up into ventral, right? Those aren't like the, the best ones I would say, but there, it was interesting that that was a similarity. So there are many different ways that you can help come up into ventral. So I talk about two different things here. So one is our ability to sustain in the vortex or in ventral state, right? Sustain that ability. So I call that power. That's our power. Like we're in our power, we're sustaining this place and that, that, that's where we wanna stay most of the time. But even Hicks is saying, you know, life happens, stress happens. Our body's naturally gonna go into these survival states in a day-to-day, -day, even on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't have to be something extreme, right? It doesn't have to be like a car accident. It could just be little things that stress us out, right? And drop us out of the vortex. So the second piece of that is also having the resiliency to come back to baseline. There's two factors there. How do we sustain being in the vortex or ventral? That's power, as I consider it. The second is having the resiliency that when we drop out of the vortex, we have the resiliency to come back to baseline, so to speak we can make a comeback, right? So two different, two different things, both important. So I take a, I've been taking more of a three-step approach to this to bring people back up into, into a ventral state. So the three Ps, I call them. I've been really digging into the vortex stuff, man, because it feels good to be up there. Like things just, things just flow. Okay. So, so I've been really geeking out over this, especially this last year. So the three Ps are physical strategies, physiological strategies, and then psychological strategies. So three different kind of angles here. The physical strategies, I help people more on the movement base. 
I call it, we got to develop your kinesthetic awareness. It's interesting. Humans have just a few like universal fears. And one of them is a fear of falling. Like we just have that ingrained in us. <laughs> you're going to usually catch yourself if you're going to fall, right? Like we don't think about that consciously. We just, we just protect ourselves. So if, you're, if your brain doesn't have a good map of your body, that can be a low level threat in the system. Because it's like your body, your brain doesn't know where your body's space. And there's a sense of vulnerability that happens there, right? That's a, that's a risk. That's a, that's a small threat response to your body. If there's a sense, if you feel physically vulnerable, if you feel like you're going to trip over something, if you feel clumsy, for women in particular, if they don't feel like they can defend themselves, right? Like physically defend themselves. Like I teach a lot about physical strength. That can, that can dump us, right? If we don't feel safe in our body, like on a physical standpoint, if it's like, Hey, I can't, I don't know how to protect myself physically. I don't know how to do these, these, I don't know how to move physical objects if I need to. Does all that make sense? Oh, totally. And I love that connection with like the falling thing. Like I never actually put that together that, that, you know, that's such a real fear for our bodies. Of course we need to. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. That is a really light bulb connection. Cool. And like our balance, right? Like a lot of people yeah. don't, don't prioritize their balance. We're wearing shoes. We have terrible proprioception from yeah. that. And just like the way that our body moves through space, like that makes so much sense to when you're feeling vulnerable, it's possibly because you're not like feeling to the edges of your physical body in terms of like how it moves through. Like that was, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's a huge, yeah. like, that's my gold right there. <laughs> I love that. I love body stuff. So to me, the yeah. physical stuff is probably my favorite P of all three. So yeah, just have also the, the thing too is posture, right? So our posture can impact our physiological states and our psychological state. If we're slumped over, yeah. you know, like we'll feel a different way versus if we're, if we have that kinesthetic awareness of like, oh, I'm, I'm slouching or your breathing is shallow, right? So people who don't have a good connection with their physical body, they're not going to be noting these, these subtle things that can really tip us back up into ventral especially breathing. Like that can be a really fast gateway into contact in the nervous system. Yeah. So the physical piece is so important. And like I said, I'm huge on the strength piece, like (laughs) self-possession, self-preservation, like get strong, know how to defend yourself as as a human being, right? It's like one of those basic things. Yeah. So that's the first part is just make sure that the the structure, like your literal physical structure is good. Yeah. So the second one is the physiology piece, which is more so speaking to the nervous system through, mm-hmm. through a series of different somatic practices. So it could be breathing, for example. It could be one of my personal favorites is howling. I love to howl. Okay. Something also can be touch, physical touch is something I absolutely love, right? Co-regulation is another one, which mm-hmm. is uh, connecting with another they say one nervous system recognizing another nervous system, which if you want to take a spiritual, like look at that is, you know, people say, Oh, I have a soul connection. Yeah. This yeah. person, maybe you guys are just really in sync yeah. and you guys are really regulating to one another. Yeah. 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 Not saying soul connections can exist too, but yeah, there might be but like- for the sciencey people. Absolutely. I fucking love this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I love being on this. So the, the somatic practices are more body-based. So they're not necessarily physical. Like I might use a, a somatic practice might be a, one practice is I'll use a contract relax technique. 
So I'll literally have somebody contract everything, especially if they're feeling really tight. They got a lot of like charge in their body and they're feeling a lot of tension. I'll literally have them create maximal tension almost to the point where they're shaking. And then I just have them release because the body knows when we contract, we automatically relax. Like that's on the other side of that. So if we intentionally create tension as much as we can, and then great, like that's that activation deactivation of the nervous system. Yeah that's that resiliency. So sometimes like that's an example of a somatic practice to go right to the physiology practice a couple drills of that practice, a couple breathing drills. One of my favorite breathing drills is called box breathing. So box breathing is a four seconds inhale, four second holds, four second exhale, four second hold. That one's pretty, that one's pretty damn cool. So it doesn't have to be super complicated either. Like it like we get to integrate this stuff in our daily life. Like it can literally be in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the third piece is the psychological piece, which Hicks talks about frequently is thought. Mm-hmm. And that was a piece I, do- I dived in more so in the past several months, which was so powerful when we learn how to control our thoughts, especially like the spiraling thoughts, right? So in, in trauma therapy, like I, they call that the, the trauma vortex is you're kind of spiraling in this, in this red of just negative and there's fear and there's anxiety. And then sometimes you'll start to like, you'll feel it in your chest, right? You'll feel it in your shoulders. You'll feel it in your jaw Versus, you know, and Hicks talks about, we want to divert our attention, divert your attention. Like think about a different thought. Don't think about not thinking about that thought. Cause then you're going to think about that thought, think about a different thought, right? So in trauma therapy, we call that orienting to blue. Mm, okay. it's orienting. We're going to orient to the blue and the blue is more positive thought. The blue is even something that's neutral for goodness sake. So Hicks talks about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We literally talk about that in trauma therapy, nervous system regulation, just go neutral. It's something that if you can't access what feels good, access yeah. something that feels neutral. Yeah. Can you just unpack the orientating for us or the orienting for for a second? I am really curious about that. This red and blue. Yeah. Yeah. So orienting is actually considered a somatic practice. So I forgot, this is one of my other really great somatic practices is so orienting can also be in our physical world, right? So orienting can be in the mental, psychological, like, okay, I'm going to orient from this negative thought to this this positive thought, but it can also be in our physical environment, which is more of that physiological. If I, if I sense a client's really activated, right. So I'm watching for body cues, body language that tells me, okay, they're, I see their heart rate moving fast might be okay. Cueing me that they're in a sympathetic, their eyes are darting around really quickly or they're shifting a lot. Okay. Maybe they're in a negative sympathetic charge. So we might try an orientation practice, which I literally have them just look around their room mm-hmm. and try to find something in their physical environment that at least feels neutral. Yeah, okay. Like if they can't find something that's like, oh, that's good. So if I look in my physical environment here, when I see my salt lamp, like that's where my eyes go. I'm like, ooh, like that feels, yeah. that feels good. Like look at the salt lamp. And then you can kind of go into that. You, you go back into the body. It's like, ooh, what does it feel like to like, relax a little bit for just a second and observe the salt lamp. Yeah. And it goes into the somatics even more. It's like, Ooh, like that feels good. Where do you feel it in your body? Right. So, so then you're also getting that psychological 
diversion too, because you're, you, now you're suddenly in your body, you're focused on something outside of yourself. And we actually get a decrease in blood pressure, speaking of the physical side, when we are moving our head, neck, and eyes in a slow way, because that's literally wired into us that this is us observing our environment, that there's no threat. Threat. No shit. Like, wow. We're cool. It's good. It's good. But everybody's cool. So if you watch like an animal, like there's this, there's this, this story that was told to me of like a this cat was walking along like this beam, and the cow is doing cat things, and then the cat slips and falls, and of course they have nine lives, so it lands on the feet, but the cat got jolted, right? It was like, oh shit, and then it oriented. Yeah. Right? Like looks around its environment. Oh, okay, I'm good. And it might shake, right? It's charged yeah. sympathetic energy. And then it goes, goes, does more cat things. <laughs> does more cat things. I love that. So it's it's this very, it's this very natural thing. That's why I, I, I love the nervous system stuff because it's it's all it's also innate. We just have mm. kind of cut off. Forgotten. Yeah, we've forgotten and we've also been it's also been pushed out of us in a lot of ways not to follow impulse. Like, no, you can't go pee yet is a very example, a very clear example when we're in school. Like, hey, my body's telling me I really got to go to the bathroom or my body's telling me I really got to eat. No, you're on a diet. Mm. Mm. I don't want to exercise. No, you have to exercise, right? There's this, mm. there's this forcefulness that we forget. Oh, like I'm supposed to actually listen and respect the rhythm of my body. And when you don't for long periods of time, that's when we get this dysregulation, we get injury. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love this. Oh, thank you so much for sharing this stuff with us. So talk to us about the resiliency piece, because I feel like this is also really important. And I think that this, you know, we even hear about it a lot when we're like raising our kids and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think really resiliency is super important, but it can feel like this big thing that we don't know how to do, or how do we build that? Or how do we build trust in ourselves? So I would love to hear you riff a bit on that. So I think when it starts with a belief, it starts with like, I've worked with so many people with trauma or big injury. Like my, my background is in physical therapy. So I've worked with probably at this point, thousands of people who were injured and didn't feel like they had resilience anymore because they had been broken down over and over and over and over again. Right. Sometimes the same trauma, the same injury, the same cycle. And they're, they have, they begin to have this story of like, I'm broken. Yeah. I need to be. Fixed. I know the story. <laughs> I don't have it in physical injury, but I definitely have it in other other parts of my life for sure. <laughs> yes, I think I think a lot of us have that kind of pattern is that cycle of uh, of of repeating the same like kind of traumatic experiences in our life, right? So one thing I'll I'll try to bring my clients back to is you are not broken. Like we are so badass as a species like if you really think about it there's this song i started i found on spotify and like the first phrase is like talking about how much of a miracle it is that we're even alive like we even make it out holy moly like you don't have to do anything and you're resilient you are innately resilient because you are a human being you know and like really really getting that and like feeling that and in my opinion, people who've experienced a lot of trauma or the same injuries and these repeated problems are the most resilient. It's like they, they've, they've gone through absolute shit. I've got some of the most badass friends. I was just telling you about my badass friends that I have in my life. 
they've been through things that I can't even imagine how horrific they are. And I think they're the most amazing people for, for just surviving. Like one of my clients said when she had, God, her story was just so intense. And she said, sometimes it's okay to just survive. It's okay to just survive sometimes. Like that's another piece of this resiliency is I think we've, Esther or Abraham talks about this too, is we get really hard on ourselves sometimes. I need to be strong. I need to be resilient. And we try to, we try to like force ourselves up into that ventral state or that vortex. And like, there's something wrong with me. I'm not doing this well enough. And as Hicks talks about, it's really an allowing. It's really an allowing. And as Hicks talks about, is once you realize you can come back into the vortex, once you have that experience that you, you can, you can regulate your physiology, that you can get physically stronger, that you can start to control your thoughts. We call that resourcing in therapy, right? Those are your resources that, you know, okay, I'm feeling like crap right now, but I know that I actually can do this. I know I can come back into that state. And that you don't have to depend on therapists or friends or whoever to do it. Like you learn, like, like I've got me, I've got me. To me, that's resiliency. That's like, that's resiliency. And that's, that, that's your power, right? Power sustaining that state. And then when you drop out, like, Hey, cool. I'm human. Like that's going to happen and having incredible compassion for yourself and love oh, and yeah. allowing yourself to naturally regulate. Like take deep care of yourself. That's resiliency. All right. And I feel like I love that you said that. Yeah. Like I feel like we get obsessed with like doing the work and doing the right thing and doing the next thing and being in state of flow, whatever it is. And we, we really don't put enough emphasis on, especially as women like resting and just being and that that's just as fucking productive most of the time as doing the work and really once we can get comfortable in the being and once we get comfortable in the resting and in the taking the time out to sort of to be resilient right even that if it looks like we're not doing anything we'll be more potent we'll be more creative we'll be more powerful right mm-hmm. well and, and and it's I mean that's what Hicks says too right like literally like take a nap so it's interesting yeah. that science and spirituality are both yeah. literally saying the same thing they're like chill out yeah <laughs> like yeah. chill out like you I I wrote once like especially my, my patients in therapy like I'd say like your strength is also your vulnerability right like yeah. strength Strength and power, even when I, I wrote something recently on the word power, like people, people, people associate power often with overpowering or force or, um, yeah, this, this type of like grabbing and uh, there's often a negative relationship with the word power. It's like, it doesn't have to be. That doesn't. I love that you said that. It's like, that has taken me the longest time to get like into my, <laughs> into my integration is that power doesn't have to be negative power like you know personal power and feeling powerful and owning your own power is actually a really beautiful thing so yeah thank you for bringing that up oh I adore this conversation so talking about Mm -hmm. personal power and like our personal vortex and being you know strengthening our own personal vibration I would love to hear 
from you about what are the things that you do that help you do that? Cause you know, some, someone might be listening and be like, Oh yeah, that, that will really, that will really light me up too. So when you had used that word power again, and like that personal power, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was doing my self-defense work with my teacher. So I do one-on-one, one-on-one fighting, fighting work, defense work. And it's, so I'm in that place. What's beautiful about when you're doing really good self-defense work. So I'm very body oriented. Like, so for me, I need to feel it everywhere in my body and my power coming back to me and typically like just controlling my my space, right? Controlling my body in space. Like I was literally dancing an hour before we got on, right? Like that's another, that's another tool I use to get into my power is getting into my body. Um, but when you're doing self-defense work, what I learned about it is you want to be on your power, right? To be able to defend yourself is that it's not this aggressive sense of power. When I'm fighting with my teacher, I'm defending myself. I'm not in this super jacked up place. I actually learned that in my body, what it feels like to be in my power is this, I'm, I feel myself rooted to the ground. So I might even play with this practice. I'm like, Ooh, I want to feel in my power. What would that feel like? And be like, okay, I'm rooted into the ground. I feel tall. I teach clients what's called a decompression breath. So decompression breath is where you, you're, you're creating more space through your body, but you're not like puffing out your chest there's like, there's like a technique to it so you're you're kind of tall you're elevated but like okay I'm rooted in the ground and then there's a sense of relaxation in that mm. like inner knowing that you've got it right that you you've got control over your space you've got control of your mind and there's this whole like feeling about it yeah I love that nuance of like relaxing into it yeah, I love that. It's it, it sometimes that feels a bit confusing and a bit like counterintuitive, but it's so it's so the way it is, like getting into there and then like yeah, like surrendering to it, relaxing, relaxing into yes. it, like leaning in, you know, however you want to frame it. That's definitely like, the feeling. It's kind of like owning it because I went through a phase when I was I say when I, when I used to do barbell training a lot, like 10, 10, 11 years ago, I'd get under that barbell and I'd say, I, you know, I'd get under it and I'd like rip it apart, right? And I'd like, I'd joke, I'd piss all over my territory. That was my squat rack in that gym. Those dudes knew I was there after work, after my patients, and I would just dominate, right? I was in my power, but I was in a defensive state. You know, I was like cool with the guys after. I was like, all right, I'll talk to you now. Like, you, you know, gave me my space, do my sets. But there was a level of aggression there, right? There was this level of like an overemphasis of my power because I didn't really know it yet. I hadn't gotten really acquainted. So it was coming from a place of fear, not a place of ownership. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That fear, that the power driven by fear is not going to feel safe. It's not going to feel like you're eventual. It's going to feel like you're like really jacked up. And now I've I mentioned the self-defense because sometimes I'll get, I'll find myself getting into that state where we're really doing a hard drill and I feel myself getting charged. And my teacher's like, Hey, you know, breathe. He's like, Hey, shake it off. And I'll literally, I'll hum, I'll shake around. I'll sit on the floor. I'll rock. Like he's cool with all my weird ass, like <laughs> drills to regulate. But because it's hard sometimes to discern, like, am I in my power because I'm feeling 
like I don't really trust my innate power or am I really do I really have ownership over my power yeah and what does that feel like what are the small subtle subtleties that I can notice in my body that tells me when I'm in kind of a negative state of power or positive state of power absolutely and I love what you mentioned there and I just I think it's worth repeating to people that you mentioned like regulating and I find like it's going to look different for everybody but I think that's such a it's such an important piece if maybe if you don't really know how that feels in your body or what it feels like in your life go on a bit of a personal exploration to find out what it feels like what it looks like what it what how you think when you are regulating because that's the that's the key when you can get back to like okay what's going to regulate me in this in this situation in this experience what's going to help me come back to my baseline what's going to help me come back to my personal power yeah that's really important oh Jess you're amazing thank you so much I have adored chatting to you is there anything else that you want to say before I get your digital hangouts where we can follow you is there anything we haven't covered that you just really want the people to know I guess the biggest thing I'd say is like don't again like don't there's no reason to beat yourself up there's no reason to think that you're broken and there's no reason to beat yourself up if you're like damn it they're talking about the ventral state and vortex and i'm not there and i got all these i got all this work i gotta do and i gotta like do the work and it's gonna be hard and it's gonna, like i always tell my clients i'm like it gets to be light like it gets to be playful it gets to be fun it gets to be pleasurable like the process itself to regulating and coming back into your power and resiliency does not have to feel like work. And it's actually counterintuitive because then there's that level of force. There's, there's that level of like, I'm not good enough and I have to do this thing, right? That's going to charge up that fight or flight response. Like instead, you literally are following what feels good. You're literally following what takes deep care of yourself. Like you're literally just caring deeply about the way that you feel. And doing things that support that in a beautiful, natural, allowing way. Like, you can't get any better. <laughs> it's like yeah. the best therapy out there. Follow what feels good. Let yeah. yourself follow. Yeah. Like, say it again for the people at the back. And, like, just don't beat yourself up. I love that. Don't beat yourself up. Give yourself compassion and grace because... That is where, for me, like personally, that's just where it begins. It begins and ends with compassion and grace for yourself, first and foremost, you know. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. So where are all your digital hangouts? Where can we, like, drool over you online? Where can we get in contact with you if we want to work with you? If we want to know more about you, tell us all the places we can find you. So so they can find me under Jess Mather. They can search for me. My website is rehabitia.com, rehab, and then I-T-E-D. So I took two words. I took rehab, since my background's in rehab, right? We're restoring bodies. And then I took the word inhabited because a lot of this is like, you can't do this shit if you're not in your body. Like you have to be inhabited in your body, feeling all the good feels. So rehabited.com. And then they can, I think it'll pop them up onto like an email thing. So they can just drop in their email and be like, follow some stuff. Uh, a lot of this is about self-sufficiency and self-efficacy. And when we're doing this work, you're, you're doing these skills, like you're getting an organism to function the way it's meant to, things naturally clear up, right? Oh, things clear up very quickly, like sometimes almost immediately yeah. when we get the structure doing what it needs to do. Yeah. So we have it just matter on Facebook or we have it on Facebook. I think my Instagram is live rehabited. 
I'll pop all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It has been mind-blowing to say the least. So thank you so much for sharing yourself. Thank you for your work in the world. Thank you for your beautiful brain and all the words that you put out on the interwebs. I adore you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening today. And if anything here landed in your soul feels, please share with the people that you love because the more hearts and ears this gets into, the better. If you want more conversation like this, then head over to the Quintessential Being by Nikki Facebook or Instagram page. I would love to see you there. Till next time, big love. <laughs>